East Lansing. This is City Pulse on the Air. Joining you now, your Editor-in-Chief of the Lansing City Pulse, Burl Schwartz. Hello again, this is Burl Schwartz talking. Later in the show, how are Lansing restaurants faring during the pandemic? Skylar Ashley talks to the owner of the popular barbecue place Saddleback. And Lansing's undeterred poet laureate takes to Facebook. Larry Cosentino talks to her. First up, though, it's time for my weekly conversation with MSU political science professor Matt Grossman about the presidential campaign. You remember that? Matt, the New York Times started an article uh, a couple of days ago uh, by saying uh, pandemics are not partisan. Um, uh, What follows is an interesting story about whether, in fact, uh, if there is a silver lining that uh, we might get over the great partisan divide we've seen for so long now. Any uh, thoughts on that? Well, the uh, federal response uh, has uh, so far uh, been uh, relatively uh, nonpartisan in results. That is, we have seen uh, a a major stimulus package uh, pass uh, with the unanimous vote in the Senate and uh, in the House on a voice vote um, that incorporated uh, some elements forwarded by Democrats and Republicans. Um, The... Uh, state responses um, have not uh, been uh, uh, bipartisan necessarily. Uh, we are seeing uh, Democratic governors uh, move faster in terms of restrictions uh, related to uh, avoiding the spread of COVID-19 through social distancing. Um, in terms of how things will play out, I think there is a chance that uh, this uh, will uh, move us toward more nonpartisan policymaking. Um, I don't think that that's because there's uh, because the, the, everyone wants to do nonpartisan policymaking, but because we'll be forced to do so. Um, state governments, for example, will be at the mercy of federal resources uh, while state tax revenues are falling, and so that's going to lead them uh, to very similar uh, policies in the long term across Democratic and Republican states. Um, we've seen uh, President Trump perhaps evolve, uh, but uh, he uh, uh, seems less confrontational uh, to some extent, and he's certainly getting plenty of TV time to uh, display this uh, attempt at being presidential, I guess. Uh, What's working for him, do you think, and what isn't working for him? Well, he is mainly just uh, the initial beneficiary of Americans wanting to, to trust their leaders and wanting to try to get um, try to get some some protection in the face of a, of a major threat. Um, leaders around the world uh, are uh, gaining uh, stature and approval uh, in response to the COVID uh, crisis, almost no matter what they do. Although I guess. Uh, Bolsonaro might be another example where um, it isn't going so well. Um, And the same is true at the state level where um, governors are also seeing increased approval in response to the crisis. So people kind of initially want to trust their leaders no matter what they do, and it takes a lot uh, to kind of move people off that uh, baseline reaction. Um, But but President Trump, um, I think, has not benefited from uh, getting in fights with governors, um, from 
uh, trying to pin the blame on other people. Uh, I think he's at his best when he just simply lets the uh, public health officials take the lead um, and just uh, reinforces their message. Uh, and how do you think he comes off uh, in attacking the media? We, we saw the uh, classic example of that uh, play out in the Rose Garden uh, with uh, uh, Yamish uh, Al-Sindor from uh, PBS. Uh, well, uh, I asked, let me yeah. uh, provide a little context there. <laughs> who's, who's disliked more, Trump or the media? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for Republicans, uh, it's different than, than for Democrats. Um, but the, the media remains um, not not that popular, especially among Republicans. So, people who um, people who have an who, who have an attraction to President Trump are not very likely to be turned off by his attacks on on the media. Um, and so, you know, it pretty much just reinforces our predispositions about the president and, and the media. You're listening to City Pulse here on 89FM, The Impact. Let's get back to uh, my weekly conversation with MSU political science professor Matt Grossman about uh, the presidential campaign. Um, of course, uh, the Democrats now are struggling uh, for equal time, as it were. Uh, they have postpone the convention from July to August. I see uh, Joe Biden popping up uh, frequently on uh, cable programs, but uh, uh, what is his situation? Uh, what, what does he do at this time? Well, the president is definitely going to be, remain the center of attention, um, and I don't think there's anything Democrats can, can do about that. Um, and they, they also um, help the president in some ways by, by passing these uh, responsive policies um, if they work um, by increasing people's income uh, during the uh, impending recession, uh, then that is likely to help President Trump uh, rather than the Democrats, just because the president's party is who usually benefits from uh, policies uh, working uh, while they are in charge. Um, the convention delay is likely uh, to delay the kind of coming together of the Democratic Party a little bit. The conventions do normally provide a bounce uh, for each candidate. Of course, they cancel out overall, um, but uh, there is some gain, and it usually comes from the nominee's own party. So in this case, it would be uh, Bernie Sanders supporters or people who were skeptical about Joe Biden during the primary um, would be most likely to be moved by a convention. So if that um, ends up lasting a little or uh, occurring a little bit later in the cycle, then we may see that Democratic consolidation uh, later. In terms of what he can do, he's not, he's, you know, basically parroting the overall Democratic message, um, but going uh, somewhat lighter on President Trump than, than others are. I'm not sure it is uh, in his interest to be out there attacking Trump at a time when the public wants to give uh, Trump the benefit of the doubt. Um, but on the other hand, uh, this is a, an opportunity for the Democrats to uh, talk about the importance of competence in, in leadership um, and uh, Joe Biden's message that he would return to, to normalcy before President Trump uh, does certainly look pertinent now. Um, so there is an argument that he should be out there um, being more negative about the president's response. But it's probably best for him to kind of 
parrot the the overall message of, of governors um, and not seem to be just an attack dog at this time of crisis. Uh, along the same lines, uh, Congressman Adam Schiff, who played such a prominent role in the impeachment process as chairman of the Intelligence Committee, has now raised uh, the specter of a post-pandemic investigation of uh, Trump and the Trump administration. Uh, do you feel the same way? This is not the time uh, that politically, this is probably not the best time to be pursuing even a, disc- a, a specter of that. Well, investigations have historically been associated with um, some uh, downgrading in uh, the president's uh, standing. So there is uh, reasons to uh, there are reasons to pursue them. Uh, in this particular case, it's it's regardless of the politics, it is um, undoubtedly true that uh, the the response was uh, bungled, especially at the very beginning of the process. And so it's certainly worth investigating um, how that how that went wrong. Um, probably for the purposes of of history and re- rectifying it last time, it's probably most important to not focus as much on the president, but uh, in the but on decisions made at lower levels. Um, in agencies and in uh, preparation uh, that may have contributed to uh, our uh, late response. Um, but uh, it, it certainly will be the case that President Trump's actions and his public statements especially uh, will be uh, fodder for investigations. In terms of what Schiff, oh, I was just going to say, in terms of what Schiff uh, specifically referenced, I was a little bit confused because he was talking about reviewing statements that were made by the administration to Congress. Um, so the problem there is that if they were made to <laughs> to Congress, then Congress was also aware of them mm-hmm. um, at an earlier period um, than than they were able to act. And uh, finally, uh, finally. Uh, do you, could you foresee a scenario in which uh, Trump, say like President Roosevelt in World War II, was seen as the wartime president and you don't change wartime presidents? Well, the, uh, I, that is part of why he's gained just a tiny amount in approval and why he's seen as, as um, people approve more of his uh, response on this crisis than, than others. There's a sense that we need him to succeed, <laughs> no matter how you feel about how he is he is doing. Um, and so I think there's there's a chance that that uh, will continue. Um, but I don't think if this gets to November and it's still an ongoing crisis, I, I doubt there's going to be the sense that um, you know Trump is is doing so well that we can't um, <laughs> that we can't change horses midstream. I don't know that that argument is going to do very well. Um, but in terms of benefiting generally from a kind of a rallying effect, I think that's certainly possible. Matt Grossman from uh, Michigan State University, uh, thanks, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Matt Grossman is also the director of the MSU Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He joins us weekly. This is City Pulse on 89FM The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Arts Editor Skylar Ashley spoke with Travis Soliker, co-owner of Saddleback Barbecue. The two discuss how Saddleback and the local restaurant industry as a whole are holding up through the coronavirus mandates that limit restaurants to takeout and delivery. You'll be able to read more about this topic in City Pulse's forthcoming issue.
While reporting on the local restaurant industry's response to Governor Whitmer's coronavirus mandates, which prevent restaurants from offering dine-in, instead only permitting carry-out and delivery, I spoke with Travis Stoliker of Saddleback Barbecue. Saddleback contributed greatly to City Pulse's emergency restaurant listings, which can be viewed at LansingCityPulse.com. Travis spoke with me about Saddleback's response and how he felt when the coronavirus mandates first came to be. How has this affected Saddleback? You know, what's changed since this whole thing started? How has it gone for you, you know, 14, 15 days into it? Um, basically, what's up? Uh, it's been a very wild ride. Um, you know, it, it's kind of how it went for us was it started with the kind of the same thing that everybody was following, just the announcements of all the things that were closing. Um, the first thing that really hit our radar was um, some reporter had written an article after the schools were closed and talked about how there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 700,000, 800,000 kids in Michigan that uh, receive free or reduced lunch. And they were really concerned that the kids weren't going to have anywhere to get those meals um, since the schools were closed. So uh, the first thing we did was we set up a program where any one of our, our customers could buy a kid's meal for $5. And then we would pay the difference and distribute those kid's meals to people. Um, and that ended up blowing up. Um, we'd sold about 400 of those. We've given away over 300 so far. Um and that was kind of the first thing that, that kind of hit. And that was before the, the full official closing of everything. Um, mm -hmm. As I recall, some of this is, you know, a little hazy because <laughs> uh, we've been going through it as it happens. Um, then, as I recall, then they closed restaurants completely for dine-in. Um, and it was kind of up in the air whether you could even do takeout or delivery. And luckily, uh, you know, it, we were – considered an essential business, which, you know, before this, I, I didn't even really know what that term meant. Um, and when we, when we heard that we were in a fortunate position because we've done a lot of carry out and curbside pickup and delivery for a long time. That's been a big part of our business, but we knew a lot of our friends that own restaurants and a lot of our colleagues out there didn't have that set up. They didn't have online ordering and they didn't have takeout ready ready to go um so when we saw that we decided we were going to set up our own web page and list all of the restaurants that we knew that were open for delivery and takeout um, and we actually proactively called all the restaurants and we we do that every so often so we've done it like four days now where we call every single restaurant on the list and make sure that they're still open um, and then we actually paid to advertise that too so we've spent about 500 dollars so far um, advertising that list so that all of the people in the area could know which restaurants were open. Um, mm -hmm. And that's been a really cool thing to see. I mean, there's been so many business owners that have reached out to us and, and thanked us. And um, it, it's had over 10,000 visits to that website. Um, City Pulse, you guys were great about listing us on your site and Fox 47 and Lansing, um, the Chamber of Commerce and Lansing.org. They all sent it out and it was, it was really amazing to see everybody kind of rally behind um, trying to help out restaurants. And as far as kind of how everything is going, um, one of the hardest things that you ever have to do in business is let somebody go. And 
when the order came down that we had to shut down dining, um, we had to let go about 10 people. And that was devastating. I mean, those are the hardest phone calls that you ever have to make. And it still stays with us that how unfortunate the whole thing is. But we we tried to give everybody enough notice and, and let them know as soon as possible so that they could register for unemployment. We gave them all the information that they needed so that they could hopefully expedite that process and start receiving their unemployment benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of because of that, we all of the salaried employees really had to take on, and the owners had to take on new responsibilities. So the the people that handled catering and marketing those people all had to go and work in the restaurant. And um, Matt Gillett, the other owner, he's been in the restaurant cooking and working the smoker for just an insane amount of hours every week. You know, he's probably in there 60, 70 hours a week. And we're just taking it day by day and just trying to survive right now. Can you describe your first initial gut reaction because you said you weren't sure if you're going to be able to do takeout, delivery, et cetera. Just when you saw restaurants on that list of things being closed, what was your first thought, very first thought? What was that like, if you can describe that? The first thought was how are we going to take care of our staff and how are we going to survive this if we can't sell any food and how long is this going to go on for um, honestly, that was, that was our first thought or that was my first thought, I should say. And, and then of course it led into, you know, worrying about your families and worrying about your grandparents and worrying about their health. Um, can we even, you know, how are we going to make it through this is basically the thought. Um, Just a great sense of anxiety. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been, and, and I'm sure, you know, we're not alone in this. I know everybody's feeling it, but it's constantly not knowing what your future holds, not knowing every day if you're going to wake up and have another new thing that we have to adapt to. Um, you know, like, for instance, there, there's been a bunch of new things that have rolled out, too. So, like, the Ingham County Health Department, um, their leadership, they came out with some new guidance for us, and that came out... I believe it was Saturday of this week, but don't quote me on the on the exact date. But that set up how we have to have kind of perimeters of where people can work and have to be separated. And we have a very official form that every single employee, when they come in, we check their temperature. We make them fill out a questionnaire of have they been in contact with anybody with coronavirus? Have they traveled? Um, all that kind of stuff. So every day it's been let's make sure that we know what the status of everything is and make sure that we're doing everything that we can to protect the customers and the employees and, and do our best to, you know, deal with this ongoing situation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the list that you put together, you already talked about it, but um, more specifically, um, what's special about the restaurant community in greater Lansing that, made Saddleback basically jump on that, like, pretty immediately. <laughs> you know, like, because you guys beat, you beat all the major, like, media outlets here, you know what I mean? Um, you guys got yeah. right on that. What's, what galvanized that, you know? Like, what 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 is it you like about Greater Lansing that really inspired you to do that so quickly? 
Thanks for the kind words. Um, so my business partner, Matt, he grew up in Mason. I grew up in Holt. We've, we've lived here our entire lives. This community means a tremendous amount to us. And the way that we've always seen the world is that Saddleback doesn't compete with any local restaurants. The rising tide, we really believe, raises all boats. If somebody's going out to Dusty's or uh, Black Cat or Zuby's or Cosmos or Bridge Street Social, that's great for all of us. So we've never felt that we've ever been in competition with any of the local restaurants. And we're friends with most of the owners. Um, so we've always been really proactive of reaching out to the restaurant community, trying to learn what we can from them, and trying to help whenever we can, if there's ever any small insights that we can help um, provide them. And that was kind of just, that's kind of built into the way Saddleback views the world. Um, you know, we never even say anything negative about meat barbecue or crossroads or any of the barbecue places that we compete with because we don't feel like we compete with them. So when it, when this all hit, we knew that it was going to be devastating for a lot of places. And we just kind of sprung into action. And I, I don't know why we were able to do it so fast. I guess I come from a tech background, so I'm able to edit the website and I put it together myself. So maybe that's one of the things that gives us a little advantage. We have the fortune of having somebody on staff that can edit the website directly. So that, I think that's probably why we were able to do it a little faster. Mm -hmm. And it just really goes back to that core belief that we're not in competition. So I think a lot of restaurants would look at it and say, I'm not going to put a link to one of my competitors on here when I'm struggling to survive. And we just don't see the world that way. We see the world as if we're providing this community service for people, it's going to help everybody out. Thanks, Tyler. You're listening to City Pulse on 89FM, The Impact. I'm Burl Schwartz. Finally, staff writer Lawrence Cosentino spoke with Lansing Poet Laureate Laura Apol about poetry in place and Apol's plan to keep National Poetry Month alive online through April. Well, um, how are you coping? I mean, a lot of events have been canceled. Um, usually it's a month that's full of full of activity, readings, and, and other kinds of events. Um, what, uh, uh, what, what are you doing to, to try to make it happen in some other format? Well, so I know that a lot of people are putting readings up online through mm -hmm. Zoom, through YouTube, through Facebook. So um, as we figure out the technologies that allow us to connect to one another and to um, make events public, and to invite people to attend and participate as we're all learning those uh, technologies. More and more things are going up as uh, distance poetry events. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, so I know that people are doing that. I'm doing that. Um, it felt like as the Poet Laureate, I had a unique platform to bring poems uh, through the Poet Laureate Facebook site. Mm -hmm. And so that's what, I, as you know, that's what I've been doing. And the name of it is Poetry in Place. And can you explain to me a little bit? I know that the word place was carefully chosen. So uh, the poetry, the position of Lansing Poet Laureate was um, in part um, created in order to have a poetry presence in the 
greater Lansing area and to bring attention to this as a place. Mm-hmm. Um, I have then have done several workshops about place. Uh, Dennis, the poet laureate who um, preceded me, did the Sidewalk Poetry Project, which was very much about place. Mm-hmm. The sidewalks are located in particular locations, and mm-hmm. the poems are about those locations. That's Dennis Hendrickson? What's that? That's Dennis Hendrickson, the previous poet laureate? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, so... So there is sort of inherent in the position the notion of place. And um, I, I was saying I've done workshops um, that focus on poetry of place, um, poetry about particular places, mm-hmm. and in, in some cases, the mid-Michigan area. So it seemed like a small step to, if we're sheltering in place, to have poetry in place mm-hmm. and to bring poetry to the places we all are, even if we're not together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And where are you? I notice I've seen a couple of readings that you've done um, on your Facebook page. It looks like you're in a cabin. Uh, it looks like a nice. It looks like a nice place, whatever it is. It's a lovely background. I've also been with a background that looks like at any moment they're going to put the black hood over my head and execute me. Oh no! Um, you know it is. It is, uh, it, to my mind, kind of important what the background is when you do these things because at least when I'm watching my students, I I feel like I'm in their homes, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm, um, I learn a lot about them by seeing what's behind them on the walls in their dorm room or in their apartment or in the bedroom they grew up in and have now returned to. Yeah, I think we've all been doing that with some of the performances we're seeing, you know, musical performances and other things, you know, the, the meetings, the conferences that are online, peeking at what's behind the person and what's in their house, which is kind of fun. Exactly, exactly. And what books are on their shelves. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is that walk through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, are you, like, is that, is that, uh, it looks like a cabin. Is that where you are? Um, part of the time when I need a good background, I am. <laughs> uh-huh. That's great. Um, and, and you've already done a couple of readings, but as I understand it, you're soliciting other poets, whether they're still here in Lansing, and poets based in the Lansing area, or that once were active in the Lansing area, to, uh, exactly. contribute. Mm-hmm. And, and what I'm, you know, what I'm trying to do with it took me into so between you and me, um, my my dog died on the weekend, which put me I mean, never mind how sad I am, it also meant that I wasn't learning the technologies. Oh. Um, yeah, I'm sorry so, about that. Yeah, it's been really, really terrible, which is why I also look like a woman who's been crying a lot before she does oh. the reading. Which is just how it is. Um so um the so I'm, I, I have now figured out and will be able to send out to people who have sent poems um, a way for the recordings to be created in a format that I can put easily on the Facebook page. So that has mm-hmm. been solved. So mm-hmm. um, I'm ready. I wanted there to be um, a start where I sort of set the stage and um, created some expectations about um, – that it could be your own poem, it could be other people's poems, they didn't have to be about coronavirus, mm-hmm. they could be poems of hope, they could be poems of other life experiences, 
They could be poems of anger or grief or celebration, um, really just um, choosing poems that spoke honestly about the human experience. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the month, you'll probably have a very interesting uh, virtual anthology. That's, uh, I am going to, there is also a Lansing Facebook website, I mean Lansing Poet Laureate website, mm -hmm. and I'm going to archive them all on there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I hope, I mean, I hope this goes as long as we're sheltered in place. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. I hope that, uh, I mean, I'd love if we were all released at the end of April, but it seems that's not the case. Um, so for as long as we're kind of all using technology as a way of finding our way to each other, I hope that this can continue, and I hope I get so many poems that it can go on and on and on. Thanks, Larry. And thanks as well to Skylar Ashley for producing this week's show. We'll return with a new one next week at 10 a.m. on The Impact. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. For City Pulse, I'm Burl Schwartz.